I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I'm going to talk to you today about, we're still in the doctrine of predestination and prayer and the Sabbath, because they all basically have to do with each other. Uh, I'm going to talk to you about the will of God. Will of God. Will. People think that they can do anything they want according to their own will. There is no such thing as free will. The Bible says, Who hath resisted the will of God? That is to say, nobody resists the will of God. Everything that's going on is according to God's will. Today I'm going to talk to you about predestination. Let me predestination and it has to do it has to do with the will of God and it has to do with prayer and it has to do with Sabbath Sabbath does not mean seventh does not Sabbath, Shabbat, our Shabbat, means rest. We need to rest in the fact that God's will is being done. There's three words, three common words for will in the New Testament. There is these words here, and they all really basically have the same structure in a sense. One of them looks like it's not from the same root, but it is. You have the word thalema, which means determination. And then you have a word that is similar to that. That word thalema is the one that's used in John 1.13 that we were born speaking of the new birth not of blood nor of the will the lama the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God I've said this last week you cannot cooperate with God in having, in becoming a believer. It's completely by the will of God. And there's people that want to argue with this and fight this. It's because they really don't believe the Bible when they want to argue with it. The Bible speaks there in Romans, the ninth chapter. I'm going to read some of this. And I go to it once in a while because... Romans 9 tells you that God loved Jacob. When I tell somebody this out in public, and they'll say, but we have to cooperate with God, and he's got to somehow get our will to turn and be in line with his will. No, he has to destroy our will. And he has to put his will in our hearts in order for us to be willing to do right and to be bow to God's will. The Bible says, thy people shall be willing, willing, 
in the day of thy power. That's over in in Psalms. Huh? Psalms. Oh, I've, I've got to it drawing a blank. Uh, Psalm 110.3. I don't know. I must be getting old or something. I've said that a thousand times. Psalms 110.3. 110.3. All right. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. That word willing, nadaba, nadaba, means spontaneous or voluntary. It will only be nadaba, N-E-D-B-A-H. Spontaneously willing when God brings his power upon our lives and changes our will in the day of his causing our will to die and he replaces it with his will. He doesn't get cooperation from an evil heart and an evil man because all men are evil and none seeks after God. Nobody looks for God. No one. If a man is ever saved, it's according to the will of God. You mean God just comes along and puts a will in us and a faith in us, and that's called grace? Yes. If you don't believe that, then you don't believe the Bible. Now, go back over here to Romans 9. Romans 9. The Bible's talking about Jacob and Esau. It says, when Rebekah had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, that was her husband, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil. It was before they were born, before birth. God only said this before born. For Jacob and Esau were born. Esau were born. I don't know why people don't believe this and claim they believe the Bible. Before they were born, they'll try to come up and say, well, God's talking about nations before nations were born. That's utter insanity because in building a nation, you've got to have all kinds of sin. And before Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and they had so much sin in Israel before they became a nation. He didn't love them contingent on what they were going to do or not do. Had nothing to do with them. It had to do with God. God. Before they were born, neither having done any good or evil. Now, that cannot apply to nations. And it can't apply to Jacob and loving Jacob because they did all kinds of evil. Simeon committed murder. Reuben slept with his, with his 
father's concubine and he was left out of the inheritance he didn't get the inheritance that he should have gotten and he didn't get to, didn't get to come become king and priest as he should have they were always in trouble doing something wrong and Benjamin was equated with a young lion but he was always involved he got involved in a homosexuality his whole nation did and all the rest of Israel attacked him what are you talking about before a nation had done any good or evil Simeon conspired with Levi because of their sister Dinah. They say she had been raped by Shechem, who wasn't even an Israelite, because Shechem loved Dinah and Hamor was his father. And Simeon got Levi. And Jacob had told this family of Hamor, if you will be circumcised, you can become a proselyte Jew. And Jacob had promised them that they could become Israel and become their brothers. Well, Simeon conspired to go kill them. Jacob said, if you all be circumcised, so they get the whole family circumcised. And Simeon said, because you've they're all circumcised and they're sore and they can't move and he got Levi said let's go kill them all and they did and Jacob said you brought reproach upon Israel you you broke my word to them and Jacob was always lying and stealing he lied to Esau his brother and stole his birthright what do you mean before they had done any good or evil the nation it's not talking about nations. It's talking before either one of these were born. Either one of them had done any good or evil. God said, I love Jacob and hated Esau. What's the matter? Don't you understand the Bible, you people that call yourselves Christians? People trying to give me a hard time all the time. We think you have to cooperate with God. You don't cooperate. He's got to destroy your will, birth Christ in you by his own will, you had nothing to do with it. Well, you have to be saved by grace through faith. Yes, it is grace when he puts faith in the heart of all of his predestinated elect family. I don't see how... I've, I've had people fight me over this. Say, well, God looked ahead and saw who would accept him and who would reject him. Yeah, he did because when he saw ahead that no one would accept him, no one would believe in him because there's none that seeketh after God. Paul said so. What's the matter with you Christians? Don't you believe that? You don't believe the Bible. When you think man has enough goodness in him, free will is not only a lie, it's a downright lie, like Martin Luther said. It is corrupt your mind is corrupt if you think you've got a little bit of goodness in you. God's going to have to beat the living tar out of you with a scourge before you can be holy. I believe that people want to fight predestination. They are unholy people, unrighteous. If you think you can convince me of that, you are absolutely wrong. I've spent a lifetime studying this. I started believing predestination when I was about 21 years old. When a fellow quoted Romans 8, 29 to me, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. 
that he be the firstborn among many brethren. Now he goes on down here to say, as soon as he says, before they've done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. Call is a form of, calleth is a form of the word call. And everybody that God calls, kaleo. Ek kaleo is the word, is the word church. Ek kaleo is ek. E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A. It means called out. Now, I would go into some other points on that. But, it don't matter what you think. If you believe the Bible, you got to believe this. If you don't believe it, you're an unbeliever. If you want to fight God's Word... Don't call me or write me or email me and want to fight me. I've got so I've got stacks of email where people want to fight me, and I'm not going to pick you out of it and try to defend anything against anyone who wants to fight on the Word of God. You just don't believe the truth. Then he goes on to say, As it is written, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Gosh, how many times do I have to say this? Let me erase some of this up here. Jacob have I loved. The Bible doesn't say God loved Esau less. God had no love at all for Esau. Jacob Jacob have I loved. Have I loved. The key to all of this is who is Jacob and what does loved mean? That's the key. Jacob's name was changed to Israel in Genesis, the 32nd chapter. When he wrestled with the angel of the Lord, he was on his way back to the land of Canaan. He had fled into, into the land of, of Babylon or Paran or Padanaram. And he was fled over there and he was on his way back and he, the angel of the Lord met him. He began to wrestle with Jacob and he said, what is your name? And he said, my name is Jacob or heel catcher, one who trips up people. Trips up. And he had tripped up his brother Esau. He had lied to his father. How in the world could that be before they had done any good or evil? He lied to his father, lied to his brother, stole his birthright, and took off and ran away to the land of Babylon. Trips up. And the angel said, your name will no longer be called He'll catch a one who trips up. It will be called Israel, meaning to prevail with God. And he certainly did because the word loved is the word A-G-A-P-E-O. That's the verb. 
and the noun is A-G-A-P-E. And you have to know what loved means to understand those words in Romans 9, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. As it is written, it's written in Malachi 1, 1 and 2. Loved, what does it mean? In Kittle's Dictionary of New Testament Greek Words, that's a 10-volume set. This word loved, they've got 34 pages on loved or agape in the first volume. They will tell you that this word agape was a relationship. that fathers had for their families. And that kings had for the subjects of their kingdom. Kings for subjects. Subjects. The kings or the fathers would give their family laws and they would willingly and we are only willing in the day of God's power. They would willingly walk in them. When you love God, you have to walk in His commandments. Second John 6 says, This is agape. This is love. This is agape. It says love, but if you look in your concordance, it will say agape. And it tells you exactly what agape is in Second John 6. Let me put it this way. Let me make it in the form of an equation. Agape equals... Agape equals... Well, let me put the equal sign there. Equals. Walking. This is love that we walk after his commandments. That's what agape is. It's the commandments of a king for his subjects. Second John 6 is the best definition you can get for it. It's walking after the commandments of God. Who got the God's commandments in the Old Testament? When Jacob, as Israel, left Egypt, and they came to Mount Sinai, in the South Sinai Peninsula, God gave the commandments to Moses, Israel's leader in the wilderness. Wilderness. He didn't give any of his commandments to Esau. Esau struck out with God. God didn't love him because he gave him none of the commandments. He gave Jacob all of his commandments. And if you are one of God's Israelites, a true spiritual Jew of the heart, circumcised of the heart. God has written his law upon fleshy tables of our hearts, and we are spiritual Israel. And we are Jacob's children. We're children of Abraham through faith, the Bible says. So if the Bible says, Jacob have I loved, I haven't taken this much time 
But I want you to know if God loves you, he has to write his word on your heart and he will cause you and make you willing to walk in his commandments. He may have to whip you for years with the scourge so you'll be partaker of his holiness. And you people that claim to believe in predestination and you believe you got a little bit of goodness in you to help cooperate with God, you don't really believe the Word of God. I don't believe you believe the Bible. If you want to fight for your belief, I have so many people write to me and they want to fight me over this. You're going to have to take and prove something else with the Bible other than what you've got. Now let's read on in this chapter. It's talking about the will of God down here. Read on. Verse 14, right after he says, I want you to notice real close. Verse 14, right after he says, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. That is taken out of Malachi. Let me explain something to you here. If something is quoted out of the Old Testament, you have to take the Old Testament definition for it. Now, let me give you this. It's quoted from Malachi 1, 1 and 2. Malachi 1, 1. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel, to Jacob... By Malachi, I have loved you, Jacob, Ahab, A-H-A-B, have affection to be my friend, Ahab. I have loved you, yet you say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? I loved Jacob and I hated Esau before he's born, before he'd done any good or evil. That word hated, that's the word that it, you need to use. In the Strong's Concordance, it under agape it will say loveless. That's some that is not true. He didn't love if he loved Esau less, he would have had to give him a couple of commandments. Did he give him, thou shalt not covet, and thou shalt not steal? No. He gave Esau none. I have loved you. I've hated Esau. That word hated, out of Malachi, where Paul is quoting from, is the word S-A-N-E. It looks like sane, but it's pronounced saw-naw. Saw-naw is the way it's pronounced. And it means to detest. God detested Esau before he was born, before he had ever done any good or evil, before he had ever sinned. He hated him and detested him. Esau was an abomination. That means to detest or stink. It wasn't because of what God saw Esau would do. God saw how evil Jacob was. And the Bible doesn't even tell us about the wickedness of Esau like it does about the wickedness of Jacob. 
Jacob was as wicked as anybody, lying to his father, lying to his brother, stealing his birthright, lying to his father-in-law Laban, siring these children that would be fighting each other, raping and stealing and murdering. Simeon was a murderer. That's why I believe that God put Simeon right down here in the bottom of Judah. Simeon was not numbered with Judah. Simeon was numbered with the ten northern tribes. But he's right in the bottom of Judah, perhaps so Judah could keep an eye on him because he was not trustworthy. He was the secondborn of Jacob. And Reuben was the firstborn. So maybe Reuben was the firstborn and God bypassed Reuben for the inheritance to be the king and the priest. Bypassed him because he was unstable. Had an affair with Bilhah, Rachel's handmaid. Slept with her. Good grief, Reuben. There was some good things about him. And then, let me go back over here to Romans. I thought I would really, I have said this about Jacob. Have I loved? Have I given my commandments to? God only gives his commandments to Israel if you're not in spiritual Israel. God has to write these in fleshy tables of your heart in the third chapter of Second Corinthians, the eighth chapter of Hebrews, the ninth chapter of Hebrews, and he says in several other places, the love of God, the agape, was shut abroad in our hearts by God, not by us. Sound like you're angry. Well, I'm sick and tired of people calling themselves Christians and say, I believe in predestination, and they don't believe what it is. Now, let's go back over here to Romans. I didn't mean to get into this today at all. I got a whole bunch of other notes. Romans 9. After he said, before either one had done any good or evil, and I hated Esau before he is born, before he sinned. Then Paul anticipates questions from people. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Paul knows that people are going to say that if God created Jacob to be righteous and Esau to go to hell, he knows that when he says this, people will say, well, God be unrighteous to do that. What people are trying to do when they say they don't believe it, what they're trying to do is justify God. He doesn't need you justifying him. He is just and righteous and godly and holy if he sends everybody to hell on purpose. For he said to Moses... I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will. Will. Bulay, Arthalema. You have T H E L E M A. These are the words will. I started to give them to you a while ago. Thalema. Thalo, T-H-E-L-O, which is just a form of Thalema, and B-O-U-L-E-M-A, Bulema. 
Bulema means purpose. When he works all things after the purpose of his own will. Purpose. Thalema means determine. They basically have the same meaning. Thalema, bulema, bule. And there's forms of it. Thalo means will. It's it's the common word that these others come from the same root. Thalo will. When the Bible says, the wind bloweth where it will, where it thalo, where it wants to blow. And thou canst not tell from whence it cometh nor whither it goeth. So is everyone that's born of the Spirit. The Spirit blows where it wills, where it thalo. So if the Spirit blows on a person and wants to bring it alive, the Spirit quickeneth whom it wills to quicken. Quicken, make alive, Z-O-O-P-O-I-E-O. Make alive. You don't make yourself alive by cooperating with God. You can't. You're dead in sin. And then he says... Let me give you the verses on that. He said to Moses, Where did he say this to Moses? I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. Mercy is the word Eliao. E-L-E-O-O. Mercy is not pity. Mercy is means when you see someone in trouble, you do something about it. You show compassion. You give them what they need. Well, that's what God did when he picked out a people and showed us what we needed. And over here in Exodus 33, this is where this is quoted from. Exodus 33. There's a million things that I almost say to people and I just can't get them all in. Exodus 33. Exodus, the 33rd chapter. And he says here, let's look here at uh, 3319. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, Moses. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And will be gracious unto whom I will be gracious. And will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. I'll do what I want. I'm God. I'll make alive who I want. I'll pick out my children. Put faith in their heart and make them alive. If you don't believe that, you don't believe the Bible. Then it goes on to say, so then, is not of him that willeth Thalo, it's not of a man that has his own will, Thalo, nor of him that runneth. He's using terms for the sports that they had over in the Colosseum. 
It's not of him that runneth the race and exerts something, but of God that showeth mercy. And that is called grace. Grace means unmerited favor. It's God looked at you. You didn't have any good thing in you. You couldn't will do anything right. And he just picked you out before the foundation of the world. If you are one of his elect and put faith in your heart, arranged your life to cross the truth somewhere. And it cuts in your heart and you feel convicted. You don't know why because you hadn't prayed for anything. You just heard the word. It cut into you. And it made you alive. And you didn't need to go accept Christ or pray a sinner's prayer. But of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up. You didn't have any reason to exist, Pharaoh. But other than I would show my power in thee, that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. How would that happen in Exodus, the 14th chapter? Pharaoh gets down in the middle of the Red Sea as he's chasing Israel. And God opens up the sea, and Pharaoh pursues after Israel. And God, I said, I did this just to show my power so the world could see that I destroyed the largest army upon the face of the earth at that time. Verse 23 of chapter 14. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after the Israelites in the middle of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. God says, I'm going to destroy him because I want to show my power and who I am that I will destroy the greatest leader in the world at that time, Pharaoh. And it came to pass that in the morning watch the Lord looked into the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians. And God took off the chariot wheels when they got down in the middle of the Red Sea in the bottom. That they drave heavily. They wouldn't roll anymore. So that the Egyptians said, listen to their words. Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. They said, the Lord of Israel is fighting against us. And the Lord said unto Moses, stretch out thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, and upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength. And when the morning appeared, the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the hosts of Pharaoh. God killed them all. People say, God wouldn't kill somebody. You are kidding, aren't you? He said, I kill, I make alive. I wound, I heal. And there came into the sea after them, and there remained not so much as one of them. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the middle of the sea, and the waters were the wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. 
And Israel saw that the great work which the Lord did, uh, the Lord did upon the Egyptians, killing them all. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Now you can say what you want to say, but if you don't believe God killed Pharaoh and all of his armies, you don't believe the Bible. If you believe that God loved Pharaoh, you don't believe the Bible. If you believe that God loved Esau, you don't believe the Bible. Now back to Romans 9. Even for the same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee when I destroyed you in the bottom of the Red Sea. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardens their hearts so they cannot believe. Then we get to that great verse. I mentioned it before I started. Thou will say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? Who hath resisted his will? The whole context here and connection is that nobody, this question is asked so there would be a negative answer. No one resists the will of God. That word resist is the word antihistome. A-N-T-A-N-T-H. I-S-T-E-M-I it means to oppose who can oppose the thelema of God who can oppose the will of God when he goes to do what he wants to do no one God's doing his will everywhere nay but O man who art thou that replies against God you're going to reply against God and say, shall the thing form? Say to him that formed it, why did you make me this way? And why did you make that man that way? We have no business asking God or replying to God or instructing him about what he did. If you're trying to justify God, he doesn't need your words to justify him. You need to repent of your sin. If you call yourself a believer in predestination, don't sit around trying to say, well, God wouldn't make men to go to hell. He made these people to go to hell. Then he says, Hath not the pot of power over the clay of the same lump? The lump was the womb of Rebekah to make one vessel unto honor Jacob, another unto dishonor Esau, Esau was made, he was born to be taken and destroyed, like Second Peter 2 and 12 says. He was a natural brute beast. Brute. Brute. If you can't understand this, you better pray that God will help you to understand. Ba'ar. Ba'ar means it's a brute beast was a beast that couldn't be taught anything. Ba'ar means dull of hearing. Or stupid. I believe Kenneth Copeland is a stupid man. He cannot hear. Remember, faith cometh by hearing. If you're dull of hearing, you're dull of faith. You don't have any faith. You are stupid. That the New Testament word 
these as natural brute beasts, Second Peter 2.12, that word brute has the same meaning as the Old Testament word. It's the word A-L-O-G-O-S. It's a form of logos, which is the Greek word word, the word of God, and the alpha primitive in front of that, it means no word of God. They don't have any word. They have no conviction. They have no hearing, no obeying God. They're stupid. People say, you shouldn't use that word stupid. Could I use the word brutish? Could I word to use the word alogos? They have no word of God. Sometimes people need to be told the truth about themselves. You may not like that, but that's what this means. And the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord hath made even both of them. So they can't hear. They can't see the truth. They're stupid. Don't sit there and say, well, I don't like that. God wouldn't do that. What you're sitting around doing is reasoning out what you think God would do. He doesn't need you to reason. He needs to crucify your reasoning and believe him. Boy, there's a lot of people who don't like this. And they'll look for excuses. Let me go ahead and give you the two following verses. God willing to show his wrath. The word is not his wrath. It is the wrath. The orge. Orge is feminine gender. It's the wrath of revenge. What it is, God wants to show the wrath of man. The is feminine gender. Orge is feminine. It's the wrath of the feminine wrath that's evil that would be Babylon the mother mother is feminine and Babylon was founded on self let us make us a name God willing to show man's wrath and anger and revenge the wrath is not talking about God's wrath Orge is the wrath of man. It's not his, it says the wrath. The is a definite article, and it's hay, and it's feminine, and it's the Babylonian wrath of man. God willing to show the wrath of man and to make his power known. God wants to make his power known. He endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath, the vessels of orge, fitted catortizo. Fully accomplished. They were fully accomplished for destruction. That's the truth. If you believe the Bible, God ordained them for hell before the world began, just like he ordained us and wrote our names in the book of life before the world began. And Jesus died for his wife before the world began. Over in Revelation, the 13th and the 17th chapter. Now, God willing to show the wrath of man and make his power known 
He endured much long suffering, the vessels of wrath, fully accomplished to be destroyed. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, that would be those of us that believe that he wrote upon fleshy tables of our hearts. You didn't cooperate in that. You had nothing to do with it. You have to... He has to put his will in your heart. That is the grace of God when he's merciful because you don't have any will to follow him. Paul said, I don't know how to do anything right. Romans 7:18. How to perform that which is good, I don't know how. Well, Paul said, how to catrogazomai, I don't know how. In Romans 7, 18. I don't know how to fully accomplish. The ironic thing about this, he turns around and tells the Philippians 2.12. Work out your own salvation. Boy, the Church of Christ loved that verse. I'll work it out my way and you work it out your way. That's not what it says. It's the word katergadzomai. Katergadzomai. And that's an imperative mood in Philippians 2.12. That's a command. Paul is commanding them, katergadzomai, fully accomplish your salvation. That's a command from God. But he said he couldn't do it and they can't do it. So how are they going to do it? Verse 13, the next verse says, It is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That word will is the word thalo. It's a form of thalema. Determine. God's determined that you will perform your salvation we're saved by a working faith faith without works is dead faith worketh by agape and we've already told you what that is agape is walking in the commandments of God that's how faith works and every commandment is not just the ten commandments it's every imperative mood that you have in the Greek when Jesus says it or when one of the apostles says it in the epistles now, I've got a lot to say on this thing, will. Nobody resists the will of God. When he says, who hath resisted his will, that's with an, that is with an emphatic statement to say no one resists his will. If he's willing that something should happen, and that includes the vessels of wrath that are fitted to destruction, they... He does not have anything good for them. He planned for them to be in hell from the foundation of the world. People don't like that. <coughs> Let me give you a chapter that people use. Over in John 17. I've heard this said so many times. Let me do it slow so you can see it. John 17. This is Jesus praying his great prayer in the garden. Chapter 17, verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, 
the hour has come. I'm ready to die this next day. It's late at night. This is where Judas betrays Christ and he goes and tells the priests and they get the Roman soldiers to come and get him after this prayer. Father, the hours come, glorify thy son, that thy son may also glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh. He's got power over all flesh to send some to hell, make them vessels of wrath, and some to heaven. That he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. We were given to Christ before the foundation of the world. And this eternal life that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work. He's going to die just a few hours later. Which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men whom thou gave me out of the world. And the people will say, he's only talking about the apostles here. No, he's not. I'll show you that in a minute. He's talking about everybody that believes through their word as well. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Well, all except Judas. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. And what does he mean by that? He means not only teaching them, but through the Holy Spirit he will inspire Matthew to write the word, to write the gospel of Matthew he'll inspire Mark and Luke and John to write their gospels he will inspire Paul to write all the things he wrote all of his epistles he'll inspire Peter to write the epistles he's written he'll inspire John to write first John to write first second third John and they have received them and have known surely that I came out from thee and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world. But for them which thou hast given me. For they are thine. And all mine are thine. And thine are mine. And I'm glorified in them. Now, he said there's one of them left out down there in verse 12 let's read down to it now I am no more in the world but these are in the world and I come to thee holy father keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me he keeps talking about the ones you gave me that they may be one as we are while I was with them in the world I kept them in thy name all that he had was them the apostles he said to him in the sixth chapter of john 
have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? And the word devil there is D-A-I-M-O-N-I-O-N. Daemonion means to distribute fortunes, and it was Judas that collected the 30 pieces of silver, the price for a slave in that day and time. And none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And he says in verse 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Everything that is the word of God and everything that is the truth are the same thing. The Holy Spirit is the truth. Thy word is truth. The Holy Ghost is the same as the Holy Spirit. Truth means to take the cover off. And then he says over here in verse 20, This includes everybody else that will receive the message from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, so forth. All of Paul's writings and all of their writings. Verse 20, Neither pray I for these twelve alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. I pray for all of the elect of all time. That's what he's saying. He included you and I when he said this verse here. And people say, he just preached about the 12 apostles and those are the ones that are given to Christ. That is not true. And look back here in John 10. And the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say these words. Verse 24. The Jews came round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Plainly is the word parhesia. P-A-R-R-H-E-S-I-A. It means to be blunt with us. And Jesus is saying, I don't know what you call blunt. He said, and Jesus said to him, I've told you already. And you believe not the works that I do in my Father's name. They bear witness of me. You can back up to the 8th chapter. And here's what he says to them in the 8th chapter. What does it take to make you guys believe? They're Pharisees. They're liars. They're hypocrites. He tells them over here in John 8. I told you. Verse 44. Ye are of your father the devil. The works of your father you will do. You do the... But he tells them who their father is. He says it's not God. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's talking about Satan. And abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. That's you. For he is a liar and the father of it, and so are you. You're just like your father the devil. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinces me of sin? Which of you is going to convince me? I believe that's the word patho, P-E-I-T-H-O. Which of you convinces me of sin if I say the truth? Why do you believe not believe me? And he tells them why they don't believe him. Now this is what he's referring to over here in John 10. I've told you already. 
He that is of God heareth God's word. You can't hear because you don't have hearing ears. Ye therefore hear them not because you're not of God, Pharisees. Your vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. Go away. That's what he's saying to them in essence. And if you go back over here to John 10. Verse 25, Jesus answered them and said, You believe not the works that I do in my Father's name. They bear witness of me. But he tells them why they don't believe. But ye believe not because you're not of my sheep, you're goats. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them. Them is a pronoun. All pronouns have an antecedent. Antecedent is the noun or pronoun it refers back to. This refers back to my sheep. My is a possessive pronoun. He owned us before the world began. We were given to Christ by God. And he was given to us. He says, I give unto them. Them is referring back to my sheep. My being possessive pronoun. He says, I give my sheep eternal life. I don't give goats eternal life and turn them into sheep. I give my sheep eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And people will come and say, well, no man can pluck them out, but a man can pluck himself out. You're ignorant. It says, nobody can take my sheep away from my hand. My Father which gave them me. We were given to Christ, and he was given to us to die for us. Is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And then they took up stones to stone him because he's making himself equal to God the Father. Now, the, the will of God is being done. We were given to God by, we were given to Christ by God and he was given to us by them. The Bible says nobody seeks God Nobody wants to God. Jesus said in John six thirty seven, All that the Father giveth me, everybody that was given to me by the Father, which would include all these that hear, that believe by the word of the apostles, which would be all the believers of all time. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. There is no doubt that everybody that was given to Christ shall come to him. God's will is being done in everything according to his good pleasure. The Bible says in Ephesians 1 and 5 and verse 9, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children, by Jesus Christ unto himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. The word pleasure, let me take you over there. 
I people, if you believe in predestination, you got to believe it's all according to the will of God, the good pleasure of His will. That word is thalema, His determination. His pleasure is being done. You cannot do anything according to your pleasure that doesn't align with Him. Now, the word pleasure there is the word eudokia, E-U-D-O-K-I-A, E-U-D-O-K-I-A. It means well-thinking. It means what God wants or likes. It means satisfaction or delight. His purpose and pleasure is according to what he delights in. And Ephesians 1.11 says, We have obtained an inheritance. Being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things. That means everything in the world. Every action of every man. I believe God is doing everything in the universe. Everything. Nothing is out of his control. He is controlling the movement of every person, every animal, every flower that's growing. causes it to bloom exactly when he wants to. Why would God call flowers to bloom? Do you think God doesn't take pleasure in flowers just because you do? That he has no pleasure in his presence. Why does it bloom out on some mountainside when no one is there to see it? For his pleasure. He works all things after the counsel of his own will in Ephesians 1.11. The word counsel is the word boule. It's one of these words, a boule. It means purpose. He works all things after the purpose of his own will, thalema. Everything is according to the will of God. In everything give thanks, for this is the boule, the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I'm telling you, I don't know why people don't believe God. And he's adopted us into his family. Adoption means to place sons. Julio. Tithomai. It comes from Huyos and Tithomai. It means to place sons. That's the word adoption. We don't adopt ourselves. It's not our will that gets us into the family. It is the will of God. If you don't believe that it's all the will of God and none of you, then you don't really believe the Bible. You ought to be ashamed of yourself to call yourself a Christian. Jim, do you believe people have to believe predestination to go to heaven? You can't fight it when it's in the Bible. Prohorizo, to predetermine for the light, and you can't predetermine yourself for the light. If you don't believe in prohorizo, I didn't say predestinate. That is the word predestinate. It's been translated predestinate. Predestinate's not a good word that's equivalent. Prohorizo means to be foredetermined for the horizon, for the light, the boundary of light. 
If you don't believe that, you don't believe God. If you don't believe God, what are you? Well, the Bible says, He that denieth Christ is Antichrist. Denieth, A-R-N-E-O-M-A-I. 1 John 2.22 If you deny Christ, contradict his word. If you think you've got part, some part to do with your salvation by your will, then you're anti-Christ. You need to really check that out. All you people that write to me and want to fight me on predestination and being all the will of God. If you think your will has anything to do with it, well... You're found to be a liar according to the 30th chapter of Proverbs. If that doesn't bother you, you have no conscience. And you can't have a conscience if God doesn't put it there. Now, there's a verse that I've been giving you. I want to give you something on it. Daniel 4. Daniel was put on his all fours after he said, after, not Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar was put on his all fours in Daniel, the fourth chapter, when he said, see great Babylon that I have built. And he says, and Nebuchadnezzar, when he stood up on his feet, he said, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He doeth according to his will. His Tseba. T-S-E-B-A. T-S-E-B-A. Now what you're doing, you're going against this verse if you think you've got a little bit of will to come to God. God has to put his righteous will in your heart. But he doesn't do that to everybody. He doeth according to his summons his wishes to please himself he does his own wishes does his own pleasure please comes from pleasure he does his own pleasure in the army of heaven and among the, all the inhabitants of the earth everybody that has ever lived upon the earth his will is being done and the Bible says none can stay his hand from doing what he wills. Stay is the word Mecca, M-E-C-H-A. Mecca means to strike or stop. It means to arrest or impale and stop the hand of God from doing what he wants to do. If he wants to send men to hell on purpose, nobody can stop that. No one. And the last thing anybody can say, none can say, stay his hand or say to him, what doest thou? What are you doing, God? Who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him about sending men to hell on purpose? If you're doing that, you're correcting God. The reason men do it, they're trying to 
justify God and make him innocent. He's innocent if he sends everybody to hell. If he come up and said, I'm going to create all these people, these billions of people on the earth, and you better get all you can get on the earth by your own will, because after it's over, I'm going to send all of you to hell. And that's what he said, except this one, and this one, and this one, and this one and this one. I'm going to put my truth in their hearts. I'm going to arrange their life to cross the truth and they will hear because I'll put, I'll give them a hearing ear and I'll put faith in their heart and they will believe in me but they won't do it on their own because they have nothing good in them to do it. Now you need to deal with that. You people that want to fight me on predestination and on the will of God being done. Jesus did not die for everybody. I've had them write and say, atonement was for everybody. It was not. Let me show you what atonement is. It wasn't over the world. Atonement was the blood of the Lamb on the Day of Atonement. Atonement is the word kafar. That's the verb the noun form of kafar is kofar. And kofar means to stain or to dye. Kafar means to cover. It has the same word as baptize, same meaning. Baptizo with babto. Baptizo with babto. Those, both of those words meant to baptize. It didn't mean in water. meant to cover with a stain or dye with a stain. And he's washed us from our sins in his own blood in Revelation, the seventh chapter. And atonement was in the, in the temple. It wasn't for people over here in Moab. It wasn't for people in the land of Ammon. It wasn't for people in Egypt over here. It wasn't for people in Lebanon or Tyre and Sidon. It wasn't for people in Syria. It was only for Israel. And they would kill a goat in Leviticus, the 7th to 16th chapter, kill a goat on the altar on the tenth day of the seventh month. And the high priest would take the blood of the goat after he had cleansed the inner temple here, the outer temple, the outer sanctuary, and the golden candlesticks were there, and the, the table of showbread was here, and the altar of incense here, and the Ark of the Covenant was inside here, and the Ark of the Covenant had the mercy seat upon it, mercy seat, and it had the law written on tables of stone. Our heart has the law written on fleshy tables of the heart, fleshy tables of the heart, and inside that Ark of the Covenant, the high priest brought the blood in, and now we enter in by a new and living way into this, in Hebrews 10, starting in verse uh, 18, Hebrews 10, 18, we enter in by a new and living way through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. His flesh is the bread, and we being many are one bread, and that's the church, that's the body. 
and they sprinkled the Ark of the Covenant. The high priest would sprinkle the Ark of the Covenant, and that was the atonement. The Cathar. And he didn't die for everybody. That lamb wasn't for everybody in the world. It was only for the believing Israelites. That's all. The people who had the law written on tables of stone, now it's written on fleshy tables of our heart. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it says it in a King James Bible. That's a terrible translation. The word is A-U-T-A-D-A. It's feminine gender. Every time you have the A-D-A on the end of a word, it's a form of A-U-T-O, which is our word auto and automobile and self-mobile. With this ending, it's him. With this ending, it's her. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. No one else. The atonement's not for everybody. It's for the wife, the church. And he died for the church, atoned for his church before the world began. Don't you get it? Don't write me and try to fight me. You know nothing about what you're talking about. I get so tired of people writing me. They don't nothing, don't know nothing about nothing. And they start just rattling. They just, I think Jesus died for everybody, atoned for everybody. No, he didn't. If you think that, you don't believe the Bible. You don't know nothing about it. Holy me. People are so strange. They read the Bible and say, I don't think it means that. I think it means something else. You can quote Romans 8.29 to a Baptist preacher. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. And I've had him look at me and say, well, it don't mean that. I say, I just quoted to you verbatim. What are you talking about? Why am I upset at the preachers? They're spinning all these stories to people that are not true. Preachers across America are the biggest bunch of liars. Do you know the hardest thing for me to learn to do is call them what they are? When I got free, when I was in the hospital back in my mid-40s, and I was dying in the hospital with bronchial pneumonia, and I said, Lord, you're going to kill me if I don't stop trying to get rich in real estate, and I don't try stop trying to be famous in the music business. I surrender, God. I'm going to say all the truth all the time to everybody. I'm going to be as plain as I can. I'm going to be blunt. I'm not going to beat around the bush. And that's what I do now. You know what's happened to me? I am free. I can say anything to anybody. I don't try to be abrasive. I'm trying to protect the little sheep over here. While I'm yelling at a wolf, sometimes the little baby lambs will say, Is Jim mad at us? I'm not mad at the sheep. I'm furious with those preachers that are lying through their teeth, telling you to speak in tongues and and uh, uh, faith healing and slain in the spirit. Idiocy. Accept Christ as your personal Savior when you're dead in sin. You can't accept anything spiritual. The Bible says so. The natural man, the physical man, receives not anything of the Spirit of God. It's foolishness to him. 
There's no sinner's prayer. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved is correct. But how shall they call unless they believe in him? You don't pray to a God you don't believe in. Belief is the method of salvation, not prayer. You will call and you will accept the things of Christ after he births you by his will. You sound like you're angry. I'm angry at the preachers in the world. Be angry at the winds of doctrine. The Bible, that's an imperative command. It causes the church to be apathetic and wander around their past feeling. They don't have any feelings about anything. The winds of doctrine will do that to the church. In Ephesians, the fifth chapter. I don't know why people don't believe God. The Bible says he is the head of all principalities. says that over and over again in Colossians 2.10. says that in all through the scriptures, by him all things consist, that he's got preeminence over all things over in Colossians. Well, look at Colossians. Colossians 1. 18. 118. All right. There's a couple of words here that we need to look at. Preeminence and principality. He says in Colossians 118. Oops, that's Corinthians. That's not Colossians. I won't get it. Colossians 1. 18. 118. How much time do I have, Mike? 15. I didn't get to all my notes. 118. He is the head of the body. This is my body. Partake of it. The church. Partake of the church. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that all things might he might have preeminence. Protuo, P-R-O-T-E-U-O. It means first. We actually get our word proton. A proton in a in a molecule. Excuse me, in an atom, there you got a center that it's a nucleus, and they got neutrons and protons. They had thought at one time that protons was the smallest or actually the beginning of everything. They found out since they've discovered this, they found out there's something smaller than protons. They're called quarks. They don't even know how to split those quarks. But they thought it one time, and so we so we name protons after this word protuo. He is the He is the that he might have preeminence. It means first in rank, foremost, number one, first in rank. First, 
proton, protuo. That's why they thought the proton was the smallest. That he has first in preeminence, and look at Colossians 2.10. If he's the first in preeminence of everything, in fact, that he is, and then in verse 17, the scripture says, he is before all things, and by him all things consist. There the, everything is held together these these atoms are held together because the outer valence of an atom it has all of these electrons they all have a negative charge and put minus there the protons have a positive charge put a plus that's what holds things together when the earth will earth will melt with a fervent heat all God has to do is take all of these positive and negative charges off of every atom in the universe it'll dissipate to nothing that's how he's going to melt everything with a fervent heat he's just going to stop having the pluses and the minuses on everything just take it off besides that most atoms are made out of nothing I've gone through that before so he says in Colossians 2.10 2.10 and ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power principality is the word arche has much the same meaning as preeminence a r c h e we get our word arc from that and arc is the beginning it's the it's the first or the beginning of a circle that's what an arc is it means the head or the beginning or the leader whatever is the beginning of everything so he's the head of all principality and exousia power E-X-O-U-S-I-A something has power simply because it exists from exousia you get the word E-X-E-S-T-I which is our word existence or E-I-N-A-I these are all forms of the same word in my is our word to be everything that be or that is 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 a form of the verb to be and that takes us back to those being verbs helping verbs be as I my was were being been have as I had do this did shall would may would may would might must may would might must can could stumble on it said it so many times those are all being verbs and this is a form of the verb to be he's before all things and by him all things consist and Ephesians 5 and 20 says we're to give thanks always for all things unto God because he's consisting of everything there's nothing that's existing out here to put it lightly man's will is a very small thing when it comes to existing he has no will people say well you have a will you can get in your car and drive down the street 
If you drive down the street and you have a wreck, later on you'll say, this is the will of God. Not, not unless you turn left. I give the story about when I was in living in Fort Worth and one right turn changed my whole life. One right turn in a 49 forward about 1962, 61 or 62, in a, fire, in a maroon 49 forward. I got off work at Linux Air Conditioning and Heating. I was working on an assembly line. And I was driving down the road, and I went to this little Baptist church. The pastor's name was Jay White, and I said, I think I'll go by and see Brother Jay. And I nearly got through this light, and it was Layton Avenue. And I pulled that wheel to the right, and I was nearly through it. I had to do like that. I went down there, and I went in to see Brother Jay. I asked the secretary, is Brother Jay here? She said, he's gone. I said, well, just tell him I'd come by. And I kept hearing, sounded like somebody's banging on a piano, ding, 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 ding. And I walked into the auditorium, and there's nobody there. It's during the week, about 3.45 in the afternoon. Got off at 3.30, I think. And there was a guy over there at the piano, tuning the piano. His name was Dalton Beck. And he got through tuning, and he started playing it. And he started singing. I went over and started singing with him. This is everything is due to that right turn. If I, but I, there might as well have been a brick wall there because I couldn't have got through it. I'd had to turn. And Dalton said, you can sing tenor. I said, yeah, I've been told that. He said, i got another guy. Get with us, and we can sing together. So we started a trio. And we started, he started booking us all around North Texas. I ended up singing in a concert with the Stamps Quartet in Southeast Texas with that group. And then I was told by Terry Blackwood, who was with the Stamps at that time, they're starting a new Blackwood group. This is all due to a right turn that I had no intentions of turning. Without running to Dalton, I wouldn't have ever done this. He said they're start Terry said they're starting a new young Blackwood group in Memphis. They can't sing very good. And I said, No, I'll turn that down. I like the group I'm with. But it it fizzled out in about two months and I decided to call James Blackwood and tell him he was one of the most famous gospel singers in America back then. He said, I'll let you come to Memphis and you can sing with this young Blackwood group called the Junior Blackwood Brothers. They were the sons of the Blackwood Brothers. Bill Lyles Jr., James Blackwood Jr., R.W. Blackwood Jr., and they needed a tenor because they didn't have one in the family. So I went up there and started singing with them. I thought I had died and gone to hell. <laughs> they were such heathens, you know. And... Uh, so I sang with them for a year, went off with another Blackwood group for six or eight months, started my own group, the Lancers, but I wouldn't have done any of that without that right turn. Every little turn you make in life is a part of God's will and plan for your life. I wouldn't be in Hendersonville 
I ended up with one of the Blackwood groups of my group over in North Carolina taping a bunch of TV shows, not without the right turn. And then I was asked by one of the big major gospel singers to come to Tennessee, to Nashville. He said, I'm organizing one of the most prestigious booking agencies, and I want the best singers, and we had one of the best singing groups. And I came over here. That didn't last. I ended up going into real estate. I wouldn't have been in real estate without that right turn, not in Hendersonville, Tennessee. I ended up out of real estate, getting real sick in my in the my mid forties to death, to point of death, to God dealing with me, all because of a right turn in Fort Worth, Texas. Every decision you make is the will of God. And I went through a lot of sin through all of that. That was the will of God. And he was going to show me that I didn't need to be in that. That I didn't need to be in real estate. Didn't need to be in a heathen, in a heathen business like gospel music. And it is heathen. And you guys know who you are. I don't really care if you like it or not. You've known this for years that I was this way. I was nothing but a curse from God put in your lives, you bunch of old gospel singers. Boy, the word was out on Jim Brown. Don't let him in your concerts. That's how important one right turn is. I've given that story many times. Haven't told it in a long time. But everything that happened in my life was like a bunch of steps to bring me here and Dave and Judy wouldn't have met each other. And Dave was a, a heavy metal DJ in Dallas when he saw us on TV in Dallas. And he moved up here and he married Judy, our piano player. And they wouldn't be married except for my right turn in a 49 Ford. A maroon one. I don't even know what to say. If you think you have a will... All of our wills are being manipulated by God. And he sometimes will pull his restraining hand off of us so we can go into sin. And then he'll beat us with a scourge, with a billy club of righteousness, and say, now are you ready to live righteous? He scourges every son he receives so that we can partake of his righteousness. I thank God for everything I've been in, everything I've been through. It was all the will of God to bring me to this point right here so I could meet Mike, so I could meet Tom and Dave, and they run the ministry. They wouldn't be here if I hadn't made that right turn. God had his hand on my, he had his hand on my mind and on the steering wheel said, you will turn here and you'll think it's by your will and it won't be, it'll be by mine. I thank God that he is guiding every movement in our lives. Whether you like that or not, that's going to be between you and God if you don't like it. I know that's true. I've been the guy that's been partaking of all of it. All the turns and decisions I've made have brought me here. Well, I guess I'm out of time, ain't I? One minute. One minute. Well, maybe I can pray for a minute. I'm going to come back. I had a lot of notes I didn't get to. 
I'm going to come back and go through them. I'm still in prayer, which is bowing to the will of God. It's not something you do on your own. It's something God causes you to do with all this scourge and this whipping so you can do it His way. He brought me here so I can preach this message. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. I don't know how to thank you for all that you've done. You certainly have brought me through it all. And I'm really thankful for it. I pray that you'll take me and guide me and guide these people in this ministry where you would have them to be. Lead them and guide them. Teach them that everything they do is of your will. To be thankful in all things. Fight our battles. We do, I don't like fighting anymore, ever again. We'll give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen. That's as clear as I can say. God loved Jacob and hated Esau. I felt like I've rushed through it at times. And I, I don't want to rush through it. If I slow down and let you see what I'm seeing.